0: If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. And it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaHome. I'm Byron Reese, and today, today, our guest is Steve Ritter. He is the CTO of MyTech Systems. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Cognitive Science, Computer Science, and Economics from UC San Diego. Welcome to the show, Steve.
1: Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks for having me.
0: That's okay. I, tell, tell me, um, what were you thinking way back in the eighties when you said, "I'm going to study computers and brains"? What was what was going on in your uh, in your teenage brain?
1: That's a great question, and. Um, so first off, I, I started off with my computer science degree, and I was exposed to uh, the concepts of, you know, the early early stages of machine learning and, and cognitive science through uh, classes that forced me to deal with languages like LISP, et etc. Um, and at the same time, the University of California, San Diego, was opening up their very first department dedicated to cognitive science. So I was just close to finishing up my computer science degree, and I decided to add cognitive science into it as well, simply because I was just really, really amazed and enthralled with the 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 scope of what cognitive science was trying to cover. Uh, You know, there was obviously the computational side, but then the developmental psychology side um, and the neuroscience um, all combined um, to solve a host of different problems. And you had so many researchers in that, uh, area that were applying it in many different ways. Um, and I, I just found it fascinating. So, uh, I had to do it. Um, so
0: there's, there's human intelligence or organic intelligence or whatever you want to call it. There's, you know, what, what we have, and then there's artificial intelligence. In what way are those two things alike? And in what, what way are they not?
1: That's a great question. I think it's actually something that trips a lot of people up today when they when they hear about AI. Um, and we might use the term artificial basic intel or general intelligence um, as opposed to artificial intelligence. And so a big difference is, um, on one hand, you know, we're, we're studying the brain and we're trying to understand how the brain is organized to solve problems. And then from that, derive architectures that we might use to, to solve other problems. It, it's not necessarily the case that we're trying to create um, a, a general intelligence or a, a consciousness, but we're just trying to learn new ways to solve problems. And so I really like the concept of neural-inspired architectures and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's really the area that I've been focused on over the past 25 years is really how can we apply these learning architectures to solve uh, important business problems.
0: So give me an example of where biology, at least – Points the direction, points the way to, to an answer of some kind.
1: Well, I mean, the whole concept of a neural network and that uh, a, a brain has the ability to learn through experience um, and without, you know, rules being in Input into the the system it can learn how to adapt and how to how to deal with new situations So likewise we see a, a big distinction between kind of rule-based program systems and learning based systems where the the rule-based systems require a human expert to really understand a space and and, and Be able to encode all of that all of those requirements into uh, a set of coded rules where a machine learning system is instead learning through experience and is able to pick up on many more nuances that a a human programmer or scientist may not be able to uh, imagine uh, from the get-go. Do you think we have the techniques to build a
0: general intelligence? We just, like, we don't know how to, uh, everybody would agree with that, I would assume, but do you think we kind of know all the basics and we just don't know how to put them together or are we nowhere near understanding how general intelligence works?
1: Well, I I think, first of all, I think you're very right that there are a lot of different opinions out there and it's, it's really hard to say with certainty where we're going to be. My, my personal belief is that, um, it, it is possible. I think we will achieve it. Um, I think we're quite a ways away from it though. Um, hesitate to put a number of years on it. But I certainly don't think that's within the next five or 10 years.
0: So I hear numbers between five and 500. And then a lot (laughs) of people settle around 20 or 25. And I've always been a little suspicious because it's like, far enough out that nobody's going to remember you said that, but it's close enough that, you know, it's uh, kind of real, like you have to deal with it. So do you believe that a general intelligence is an evolutionary development from the narrow intelligence we have now? Like, I'm, I'm kind of rephrasing my question before. Are we on the path to building a general intelligence or or are we like, no, a narrow AI isn't, it only shares the word intelligent, but it doesn't really have anything to do with how it is that people have this, this vers- versatile general intelligence.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think we're on the path, but I personally believe we're quite a ways away. The, the AI that we use today is is really very narrow, narrowly focused, as you said. And um, and I believe that there's uh, substantial more uh, learning that's needed, uh, discovery that's needed in order to chart the course. But I believe we're building the tools and the foundation to make progress. And I believe where a lot of people start to predict dates much earlier in that spectrum of five to 500 uh, is because of the rate of advancement. And there's this assumption that just because we're getting uh, very good at narrowly defined artificial intelligence very quickly, that that somehow means we're going to jump the chasm and arrive at general intelligence. And, and I'm, I'm not so sure that's the case.
0: So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate for a moment. So we have the brain, mm-hmm. and we don't really understand how it works. We don't know how a thought is encoded and, and kind of how it does what it does. Then we have a mind, which, however you want to define it, it's some set of capabilities that don't seem to be things that an organ should be able to do, like your liver isn't creative and doesn't have a sense of humor, but somehow your brain is. And then we have consciousness. We're able to experience the world instead of just measure it. We actually, you know, qualia, we actually stub our toe and hurt. Whereas a computer, if you drop a computer, it can measure that, but it can never feel it. And couldn't it be the case that you have to have a, you have to be able to do what the brain does, be able to do what the mind does, and perhaps even be consciousness to be generally intelligent. And yet, people say oh yeah we can build that we're on the way to building that already like there's a huge disconnect in that to me that how can how can you be so confident that we can build it when there's so many aspects of intelligence we are so far from understanding
1: i i actually really agree with you i know you meant it to be a devil's advocate uh, uh type of question but i agree with you and um That's one of the reasons why I think we will get there, but we have a lot to learn, and the mind-body debate has been around for a long time, and understanding how all of these pieces come together, are we just a sum of our parts, or is there something magical and spiritual in there? There, There's a lot of questions that we just don't know, And, and I agree with you. I think it's a, it, it is actually one of the warning signs of potentially, you know, hitting another AI winter is uh, the expectations get so far ahead of reality that people become disenchanted and then the series of events happen and we get into another winter. So I think it's, I think it's really important to keep people focused on, you know, what the problems we are solving today, the advancements we're making today, uh, and those alone bring a host of challenges that we need to start dealing with as a society.
0: So, again, I I kind of have a bit of a disconnect between you're confident we're going to do it, but how? so where does your confidence come from? I mean, if, in fact, we are not solely machines, that there's something non-mechanistic about how we do our thing, some kind of strong emergence or something else, how can you be so confident we're going to build it? we're gonna build a general intelligence, even in 25,000 years?
1: That's a good question and I think that it, um, I don't have a very good scholarly answer for why I personally believe we're going to get there. Um, I think we look at the track record of what we have achieved the advances what we're making both on the computational side and on the side of understanding the brain because we are slowly understanding more and more of how the brain works. And it, there has definitely been a pattern where things that seemed mysterious in the past are now, are now somewhat understood. Um, and, and I believe that's going to continue. I have no real insight into the speed at which it's going to happen, but I believe we're going to get there.
0: I'm going to give you four... Um, downsides to AI. I want you to pick one you're most worried about and let's talk about it, okay? Okay. They're very fast. One is AI is going to take all the jobs. Mm -hmm. One is that AI will be used by government to basically track everything about everybody. Privacy will be gone. One is that AI will be used in warfare to make killing machines that make kill decisions on their own and ones that uh, AI will be used to exploit security vulnerabilities and everything from your toaster to the, to the national power grid. So job, security, warfare, or privacy, what worries you the most?
1: Well, they all, they all worry me. Uh, well, let's talk about them all then. Let's talk about pick, them all. pick one of them. So, um, security vulnerabilities. I've spent quite a bit of my career focused on security, cybersecurity, internet security, and I think the uh, the rate at which, as uh, you know, we create vulnerable software, um, and the rate at which human uh malware researchers, uh, both good and bad are able to find those vulnerabilities um, once you unleash an artificial intelligence intent on finding those vulnerabilities which I'm sure people are already doing um, you know that's just going to increase and um, I've been nothing but um, I surprise isn't the right word since it's happened so many times but we have devices and technology that are, are released into the world with um, incredibly poorly thought out, um, whether it be network communication stacks or security infrastructure around them, that um, it really is a critical issue.
0: You know, there's dueling software. You kind of hope that the good guys and bad guys kind of stay, you know, in parity, but but anything that's like a a chip, like chips in IoT devices, those are not upgradable, and they th- th- those will still be used years from now when their security vulnerabilities are widely known and they can't be patched. Is that is that correct?
1: Uh, that is correct, and in fact, I think uh, Intel has just experienced a, a series of vulnerabilities in their hardware um, that has been very difficult for the entire world to deal with, and um, and so I think that is a problem, um, but I also believe what you hinted at is, is a real positive that we can also employ AI in a way to protect ourselves. And there are a number, it's hard to find um, a company that isn't using AI today, but there are definitely a number of um, security companies today that are, are taking an, an AI-based approach to discovering issues, so a whole new take on vulnerability management, but also a whole new takes on endpoint protection, et cetera, that are more uh, behavior and detection-based than signature-based. So, you know, there's, I think there's, um, as always, it's attack and countermeasure. Um, You know, the bad guys do something, the good guys respond, and we can only hope that uh, those countermeasures keep up with the attacks.
0: So, job, so... You said you're worried about that, too, but so you're not in the camp of people who think, no, automation's awesome. It, it increases productivity, and there's no way in the world anybody can be against increased productivity because <laughs> increased productivity is how we get higher wages. So what worries you about automation and artificial intelligence, automation, and jobs?
1: So that's true. Um, automation in general is good. It does increase productivity, and um, historically, um, we have had automation happening for a very long time. Um, and there has always been a worry that automation is going to do irreparable harm uh, to the workforce. Uh, but we we manage and we overcome. What's What's different right now, in my opinion, and I and I think many people agree with this, is that the it's the the nature of the job and the type of the job that we're able to displace. Uh, AI is becoming capable with uh, more and more cognitive type of tasks, replacing more and more um, skilled jobs, and and that's increasing at, a, at, at an increasing rate. It's accelerating. Um, so I think a big challenge here is the, the rate of change, um, and combined with, I see very little um, uh, movement in our in in governments and policy development uh, to help um, deal with the change. So
0: I'll push back on this. Mm-hmm. Tell me one cognitive job you think AI is going to replace, and don't give me, um, uh, you know, it'll it'll read X-rays, and uh, <laughs> don't 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 do that one. Tell me a, a cognitive job that it will actually replace. Humans.
1: Well, I can give you an example um, of something that we're working on right now in identity verification. And one one mechanism for verifying identities is to have a human expert who is very good at, for example, inspecting a, a, an identity document for signs of forgery and tampering. Um, uh, maybe debatable uh, as to how much of a cognitive, how cognitive of a job you think that is. Um, But that's something that was difficult for us to automate in the past. But now we have the tools to do it and to do it at scale. Um, And so within, you know, my own area and in a relatively small scale, we are, we are seeing that kind of replacement of that job already.
0: So let me, let me take a different tack at it. So, Mm -hmm. In 1994, 1995, if you came along and said, "Hey, you know what? You know what? It'd be really cool if we if we took a billion computers and connected them all, and with HTTP and uh, used HTML and you put up websites, and and you know what that's going to do is going to create trillions of dollars in wealth. It's going to make something called Google, something called Amazon, something called eBay, something called Etsy. It's going to make something called Baidu. It's going to make Alibaba." It's going to make Airbnb. It's going to make a thousand other companies employing thousands of people. You would have said, well, that doesn't seem possible, but that's such a, you know, you you would say, wow, no, no, the computer is actually going to destroy cognitive jobs. It's not going to create them. But what what we had was, you know, a technology like, you know, a, a digital technology, a computer technology that clearly has had more job creation to it than job loss. How, how is AI different than that?
1: Well, that's a great question. And, um, for example, you have um, in the retailing space a company like Amazon that is, um, you know, causing significant change to the retail space, bringing a lot of that work online using the Internet, um, and you, you don't really see a replacement of that type of retail. It's just a new type. And yes, it's creating more jobs, but it's creating different types of jobs. So my concern isn't that overall the number of jobs goes away. I think that the types of jobs need to change and that you know, we need to do more as a society to prepare our workforce for that type of change. Um, I think at the end of the day I believe it's it, it creates a, a stronger economy a, a more interesting type of job more interesting work and an incredible freedom to people but if we're not ready for that change then it's going to be very hard to adapt
0: so you know when the assembly line came out that was a kind of artificial intelligence and that was something that you know if you were an artisan that would that was a frightening kind of technology mm-hmm. and when steam came out that's mm-hmm. kind of it an AI in a way it it's artificial power, you know, it replaced animal power, electricity, same way. Uh, you know, these, these amazingly disruptive technologies came along and there wasn't some, okay, the assembly line has come out. Let's rethink, uh, how we train people or whatever. And yet unemployment never really surged because of those things. People, people are, are very, very versatile and they learn new things and they learn new skills and they, they, they pick it all up. So why do you think you know there needs to be kind of this wholesale we need this time do you still think, you know, this time is different. AI is somehow different than the assembly line or electricity in and how it's going to impact the workforce?
1: I do, and I and I think it's the, the speed. Um, you know, the assembly line didn't happen as rapidly um, and its impacts weren't as rapid as the the impacts that we are seeing right now and we'll continue to see uh, from this current wave of AI. Um, And I say current wave of AI because it obviously it's been around for a very long time. We're just advancing very quickly right now.
0: So you said you're in my my four worries, Mm -hmm. privacy. So the setup for that one is we used to you know, you could tap my phone or follow me or whatever, but I was lost in a sea of, of of other people's data. Yep. With with AI you can record every conversation, presumably process it and analyze it and cross reference it and and, and and you can read lips with cameras and you can do all of these things. Uh do you believe that we are that AI has the capability to end to end privacy, especially in places that don't have legal safeguards against anything like that?
1: Without legal safeguards, I think yes, it's a it's a real challenge. I I don't believe we should give up on the 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 demand to maintain our privacy, but I think that what privacy means in the future will likely be a very different thing than what privacy means right now today.
0: That sounds very new speak. Ah, no, when everybody knows everything about you, that's real privacy. So what do you mean by that? How can privacy change but not really and, and still be privacy?
1: No, and I don't. What I don't mean by that is I don't mean that you know, hey, we should just put everything out there. And now since everything's out there, we're not as worried about privacy. Therefore, it has a different definition. I think that we need to continue to um, put the controls in place and ensure that we can have privacy, right? And that we can have in 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 certain scenarios, it's perfectly fine for me to be anonymous and not have to be a specifically identified person. But in other cases, I do need to be identified. So um uh, I I don't know I don't I don't think it's inevitable that because this information is out there that we lose our privacy.
0: But with with the same kind of system that takes the data of a million cancer patients and looks for telling signs, mm-hmm. you could take the activities of a million people and figure out their political parties or or figure out any number of things about that, right? It's the technology is kind of neutral about how, how it's used. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what is to stop, do you think, any large actor from essentially modeling, and it doesn't even have to be a government at this point, right? It could just be a super large company that has an enormous amount of data, essentially modeling every person and and owning that data. They, they, they would own it at that point and then they can traffic in it and sell it and act on it and, and do all of that. Are, are are we, are we naive to say, well, I just don't like that. (laughs) Uh, or, or is it like, what, what do you, what's your takeaway from that?
1: Well, I think Technically, what you're saying is absolutely doable, and there is quite a bit of that happening right now. I mean, the you know these very large companies have access to very uh, telling information about all of us. Um, really, in the only way—not the only way, but a, a, one way—that we can address that is through stronger regulation and more policy. This is an area where I think governments do need to become more active in in protecting. Um, what type of data can be collected and what it's allowed to be used for
0: and then finally in my worry my, my four worries is warfare um, militaries would would use artificial intelligence under the theory that it's more efficient and more cost effective and can do a better job in certain circumstances certain circumstances than a human and so the trend would be to make machines that can make autonomous kill decisions do you believe that that's Inevitable, and is that fine? And and we just kind of need to grow up and deal with it, or what?
1: Well, I do believe it's the trend. Um, I hope it's not inevitable. I and I don't agree that that would be a type of world that I would like to live in. Um,
0: but don't we already have it? Like, isn't a landmine an artificial intelligence that makes an autonomous kill decision? Um,
1: I don't. I don't believe. I mean, it, so. if it
0: is over fifty pounds. I will, uh, I will kill it if it steps on me and it's over fifty pounds. I mean that's just simple programming logic, right?
1: That is simple programming logic, but I'm, I'm not sure I would call that AI. And I think that's, you know, considerably different than having a, a weapon that is enabled to go look and find and make decisions uh, and possibly mistakes on. You know, but if
0: somebody had a landmine and they said, Yeah, those old landmines, they were terrible, but look this new one that has a camera and it can actually make sure somebody's wearing fatigues and Mm -hmm. it has a sniffer sensor and it can, it can smell gunpowder. And so it's going to make sure they're carrying some ordinance of some kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a better, it's a better landmine. It doesn't just indiscriminately, it's a smarter one. Uh, Wouldn't you prefer that landmine over the old dumb one?
1: Possibly. Um, But again, I think that, that, you know, there is a, there's a distinction in my mind Around you know, it's an improvement to conventional ordinance type of view versus um, the uh, the more the uh, robotic AI that's out and about uh, you know seeking and already. know there's a it just it seems to be a big difference to me.
0: So uh, I'm I'm of course if. Anybody who's listened much knows I'm actually quite optimistic about all of these technologies. I am squarely in the techno-optimist camp. So now that we've we've kind of taken off our rose-colored glasses, looked at some of the things, tell me, paint, take, take me a uh, a minute and paint a picture of what good you think this new technology is going to bring to the world. What what is worth all of that other heartache? Tell me that.
1: <laughs> I think. As is the case with every technological advancement, there is always good and bad that can come out of it.
0: I don't know. You know that ice cream syrup that like hardens on the ice cream? Yes. I I kind of think that that's just completely good. That it's really hard for me to see. There's
1: nothing bad.
0: No, no, I can't see it. I can't see it. It's like, but keep going.
1: Good point. Good point. Um, but you know, I, I'm a I'm a techno office as well, and um, in, and and that's really what keeps me excited and motivated in the field is that you see that there's incredible opportunities for for good to come out of this technology. Uh, I think one really inspiring example is AI-driven personalized healthcare. And medicine, and and what we what what can be the good that could be done to our world uh, to provide a really high level of healthcare to you know the far reaches uh, of the earth, and um, you know I think that that's something that is possible with you know these AI assisted um, solutions. Um, There are uh, a a little more personal and close to home is um, I'm really excited about um, self driving cars. I know. They get so much time in the news these days that it's hard to hear another story about them. But I have aging parents, and I would love the idea that a autonomous vehicle that I trust could go pick them up and, and take them shopping um, and make their lives easier. So I think that there is, there's untold um, good that can come out of AI, and I think it's absolutely worth pushing forward. Um, but we've got to keep the bad stuff in check.
0: So tell me about, you're the CTO of MyTech Systems. Tell me a little bit about MyTech. What's its mission? How are you using artificial intelligence?
1: So our mission at MyTech is to help create safe digital spaces for businesses to conduct conduct, uh, transactions with consumers. So you have a digitized world more and more people want to conduct business from their mobile device and the types of business we want to conduct are requiring higher and higher levels of identity assurance. So my tech is bringing solutions to market that allow, for example, a bank to enroll a new customer from their digital device without requiring them to come into a branch. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time maintaining a high level of, uh, uh, assurance that the, that identity being provided is a real actual identity. There is a lot of regulation that's encouraging financial services to ensure that the identities are proofed. Um, you know your customer requirements and any money laundering uh, regulations are are really influential. But there's also, we also have customers over in... For example, the sharing economy, where in order for someone to feel confident in entering into that sharing economy, there has to be a certain level of trust. And that trust has really got a solid foundation on top of identity. Um, So at MyTech, we are uh, using a combination of computer vision and machine learning uh, to bring uh, inspection of government-issued identity documents uh, to the market. So... uh as it happens, and,
0: and this is uh this isn't one of those you know, the way comedians are today, I was there, but literally today I was setting up a wire transfer service so I could <laughs> I could wire money internationally. And uh, I won't say the name of the company, but it was actually all really nice and smooth and all that. But at one point they had me upload a scan of my passport. Mm-hmm. So and then I got a notice probably twenty minutes later that you know I had been approved. So A, do you think that was a machine that made that assessment? or, And if if you don't, you know, if not, could a machine make that assessment? Could it really look at that scan of my passport and tell that was really, that I hadn't just like copied and pasted and changed the name and all that?
1: That's a great question. And um, so uh, on a couple different uh, dimensions here, first of all, at the scale of 25 minutes, that to me seems more like it went back to a human to look at the image and determine whether or not it was a valid passport. Um, they might have, you know, done some data entry, some data extraction, and maybe entered your passport ID into a system to see if it was a valid passport ID, etc. Um, but uh, that's not how we do it at my company, We're, and we don't really work with scans per se. I get the impression that you, like, did your own photocopy or, yep. or image of the document and set, and set the image. Um, we're, we have SDKs that are integrated directly into the mobile device. So, and let's say you are coming in, you might've been coming in via desktop session. Um, we would have handed that, that, uh, that image capture, uh, task off to your mobile device. Um, and then using our SDK on your mobile device, we're, uh, really using a video stream to inspect the document, capture the right number of images that would then be sent back to our our, uh, our backend, which it happens to be a cloud-based backend. Um, and there, those images are evaluated by a barrage of different uh, uh, algorithms, um, some of them uh, very current based on deep learning techniques, and some of them also using very classical computer revision techniques uh, to look at various aspects of the document and each document has built into it um, a set of security features and different attributes that can be inspected to look for not only the, um, the validity of the information on the document, but evidence that the document's been tampered with or forged. And then finally, very similar to um, maybe like in a face recognition system where you want to ensure that the image that's being presented to the camera is the image of a living human person and not a picture of a human person or a mask, so the anti spoofing um, you know we have liveness detection to uh, ensure that we can tell that hey this uh, we're not being presented a digitally modified picture of the document, but instead we're we're seeing a, a real actual physical document in front of the camera
0: i'm curious if let's just take a passport in your system if you mm-hmm. saw a thousand in the real world, a thousand passport passports were submitted. You don't know how many fake ones make it through, obviously, because if you knew they were fake, they wouldn't have made it through. How many? Right. How much fraud do you would you expect to see out of a thousand? Any, or one, or twenty-seven, or, or, or what? Just about a hundred. Um, wow! Really?
1: Yes. Um, so one in
0: ten is 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 bogus.
1: Well, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> my my measures are off. I meant to do one percent, and so one in a thousand. Um, I'd expect to see one percent of that traffic, based on the 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 nature of the business that our current customers do. So one of the one of the interesting things about um, uh, our solution is that we 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 have a team of human experts that are able to review the same images that the algorithms are reviewing. Um, And for some of our customers, specifically in Europe, there are some specific business cases that require a human to look at that documentation still. It's just a government requirement. Um, So we provide that service. But we also use that team of human experts to provide a quality metric on what our current algorithms are doing. So we're able to measure, for example, how accurate are our um, authentication algorithms uh, compared to a group of human experts, um, now that may not be perfect, but at least it gives you a very strong signal compared to a human expert, and and, and from that we're able to kind of derive these high-level metrics. And the fact that we're processing millions of transactions a month, um, you know, we're seeing very broad, broad-scale. Um, uh, uh, what do I want to say? Um, uh, trends in those documents and we're able to look across them at very large numbers.
0: And so right now the computer flags it but a human says, Yep, that's fake.
1: Is no, that I'm, true? No. I, I'm no. sorry. I no, so in and I'm getting I'm sorry, I'm getting a little I'm getting you a little confused between our kind of the runtime processing and the back office processing. So I see. So the bulk of our processing is 100% automated, Mm -hmm. but then what we're doing at the same time behind the scenes is we may reprocess a certain percentage of that traffic through our human experts. And for for any traffic that comes in initially directed at our human experts, as I mentioned, there's still some traffic that is of that nature. um, We will then use that to generate, um, uh, a set of images that we can test our algorithms on. So it's it, it's sort of a human in the loop, if you will, for our machine learning systems where we have identity document experts that are able, able to provide us that ground truth uh, on those images. Gotcha. Yep.
0: Well, that is all fascinating. I think we're running out of time here. So I want to thank you for a, a wide ranging uh, discussion about a lot of topics. And it sounds like you're doing interesting and useful work. So keep it up. All right. Thanks a lot. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, Byron Reese hosts another podcast about AI called the AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill. So it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.